The Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Welcome to another edition of Questions and Answers. Uh, alhamdulillah, we're back in our normal slot. Please do send your SMSs on 47913. A big shukran for all those that have been patient awaiting their, their answers to their questions. We really do appreciate it. So a big, big shukran for you. Um, we're just going to ask you to wait a little bit longer as we're going to be starting and focusing for today only on Hajj questions. All those, inshallah, the questions that we received via Hajj and also because period of Hajj is in right now and um, there's just the, the passing of Ramadan and now another very auspicious time, Alhamdulillah. So we're looking at just the Hajj questions. So um, if you are going to be sending any questions through this evening, unfortunately it won't uh, be uh, be answered right now. This is a pre-recorded show so we will deal with the questions at hand that we have already. I'm Khawa Solomon and with me answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and also to all our listeners. Shukran so much. Let's get straight into it, Sheikh. Our time is limited um, as I think we're going to be heading straight into uh, Maghrib. But um, inshallah, let's start off with the questions. And the first one we have is, what is Hajj, Sheikh? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Uh, yes, as you've pointed out, uh, because the Hajj period has started, we are in the month of Shawwal, and uh, it, it is obviously sensible to to, to focus some of our um, our guide guidelines on the aspect of Hajj for this particular show, inshallah. So the question, what is Hajj? Uh, obviously, I mean, Hajj means to have the intention to travel to the Baytullah, Makkatul Mukarramah, in order to perform a very specific type of worship. Hmm. in a very specific time frame, fulfilling specific conditions. Um, uh, it is, of course, one of the arkan of Islam, as we know, um, as the Prophet sallam indicated, Buni al-Islam wa ala khams. Islam is built on five pillars, and this is the arkan al-Islam which we teach our kids from a young age. One of them is, of course, wa hajjul bayti man ilayhi sabila, the performance of the hajj for those who can, who can afford it. Uh, so that is basically what Hajj is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is to to have that intention and to 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 make that niyyah, inshallah, to go and perform this particular ritual. Um, and it's very specific in terms of uh, how things are done and when things are done, etc. Mm-hmm. As will obviously become clear in some of the the other questions that will also still be be upcoming, inshallah. Inshallah. So the next one is, what is the difference when looking at Hajj and Umrah? Is is there a difference? Yeah, absolutely. This uh, often uh, we refer to one as being major and one is being minor. We look at Hajj as being the major uh, major pilgrimage and, and Umrah to be the minor one. Uh, in my estimation, both are major because you are still visiting the Baytullah. Mm-hmm. You are still uh, performing an ibadah of great significance. Uh, there are, however, uh, differences in terms of the rituals and the conditions that must be met for each one. Um, for example, uh, the first thing is that in terms of the time frame, the time frame for Hajj, like I mentioned, is very, very specific. Mm. We are now in the month of Shawwal, so this marks the beginning of the Hajj period, and it will go over into the month of Dhul Qa'ada, which is the 11th month, and it will also go into the first few days of Dhul Hijjah. Mm-hmm. So those are specifically the months for Hajj. You cannot, for example, make a niyyah to perform Hajj and put yourself in a state of ihram for Hajj in the month of Ramadan, let's say. Mm-hmm. That would not be valid. That niyyah would not be valid at all. It has to be done in Shawwal or after that. Uh, Umrah, on the other side, is a, a visitation to the Baytullah, which is not limited to any time frames. I mm-hmm. mean, you can go throughout the year whenever you feel uh, comfortable to go. 
you can go perform Hajj, uh, sorry, perform Umrah. Uh, of course, if it is the days of Hajj itself, then obviously your, your niyyah would be for Hajj and not for Umrah. Okay, but let's say I'm just throwing in a technical uh, question here. What if somebody is residing in Makkah, Medina, and during those times of Hajj, they don't actually want to go on Hajj, but they want to go on Umrah hmm. during the days of Hajj. Even that will be allowed. It's not impermissible okay. to do that. You can do that. It's not a problem. Although it would be obviously better for them to perform Hajj because hmm. it is a, it's, it's, time a, is it's time is in and it's a, it's a greater form of sacrifice, etc., as we will also point out. So that is a major difference. The other difference between Hajj and Umrah is, of course, the issue of the rituals, like I said. Hmm. There's a lot of things that must be done in Hajj, which does not feature at all when performing Umrah. All those things is, for example, when one stands on, on Arafah, or Kuf on Arafah, that's specifically for Hajj. Hmm. Then also staying over the, uh, in that same evening on Muzdalifah. Then also the pelting of the Jamarat on Mina. Staying on Mina for the days of Tashriq, for example. Those are very, very specific uh, acts of worship that are done and that are not included in the Umrah. The Umrah is much more simpler than that. It, it comprises basically of putting yourself in a haram, mm-hmm. then making your tawaf, making your sa'i between Safa and Marwa, and then clipping your hair. That is basically what the Umrah entails. So by estimation of time, you can perform an Umrah easily under, let's say, two hours or three hours. You can complete the Umrah. Whereas Hajj will extend over a few days, Mm -hmm. starting from the eighth day of Dhul-Hijjah, then moving on to the day of Arafah, then the days of Tashriq, etc. So that is also a major difference between Hajj and Umrah. Then uh, in terms of uh, many people also, uh, you know, and we were taught this uh, in school, etc., that uh, Hajj is fard and Umrah is sunnah. Hmm. This is normally what we are taught. There is difference of opinion as far as this question is concerned. Do we consider both of them to be obligatory or is the one is Hajj obligatory and the other one Sunnah? Hmm. The reality is that Imam Shafi'i, and that is the madhab that we mostly follow in this part of the world, he is of the opinion that both Hajj and Umrah are both obligatory acts. It's not that one is fard and one is Sunnah. Okay, both are fart, both mm. must be done at least once in a lifetime. And uh, Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions a, a verse of the Qur'an that, that, that he uses as a substantiation. That is Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 196, where Allah ta'ala says, وَأَتِمُّ الْحَجَّ وَالْعُمْرَةَ لِلَّهِ And yet Allah makes it very clear, complete your hajj and your umrah for the sake of Allah. And Imam Shafi'i deduces from this ayah uh, that Allah does not make any distinction between Hajj and Umrah. Mm. He says complete Hajj and Umrah for the sake of Allah. So according to Imam Shafi'i's view, it is incumbent upon every Muslim that is able to at least perform Hajj and Umrah at least once in a lifetime. The other madhahib, of course, they would look at the, the Umrah as being the minor pilgrimage and being Sunnah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that difference of opinion is there. Uh, I just w- wanted to highlight the fact that, yeah, hajj, like I said, I, I wouldn't consider Umrah to be a minor pilgrimage mm-hmm. and Hajj a major, because even in terms of it being obligatory, according to Imam Shafi'i, both are obligatory at mm-hmm. least once in a person's lifetime. So that is some of the differences summarized between Hajj and Umrah. Shukran, Sheikh. Sheikh also mentioned in that answer that, you know, Hajj um, is fault, it's one of the five pillars, but why exactly is Hajj performed? 
Yeah, the, the Hajj, of course, has got many, many reasons. There's many benefits in it, etc. And the best way to, to look at it is to, to, to refer to the Quran itself that gives us the guidelines on this. Mm. In Surah Al-Hajj, chapter 22 of the Quran, verse 27, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, وَأَذِّمْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍ عَمِيقٍ And this initially was an instruction that was given to Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wa salam after he and his son Ismail alayhi salatu completed the building of the Kaaba, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed him that you should proclaim the Hajj mm. so that people can respond and you will see that people will come either by foot or they will be traveling on camels from all far and distant places. Mm. People will respond to your call. And and just to, to mention also, we know that at that time Ibrahim said, if I should call, who's going to hear me? I mean, my voices. So Allah ta'ala said to him, you make the call, I will make them here. It's up to us to make them here. You just do the calling. Mm-hmm. You know, Allah will do the rest. Uh, and then we find immediately the verse thereafter gives us the idea and reason why Allah Ta'ala instituted Hajj for us. Mm. And Allah Ta'ala says in the next verse, لِيَشْهَدُوا مَنَافِعَ لَهُمْ So that they may witness the great benefits that there is for them in this in this ibadah. Mm. Great benefits. Uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, one of the companions, when he when he gave tafsir of this particular ayah, he said that the, 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 the benefits that are referred to in this ayah are benefits both in this world and in the year after. It's not only worldly benefits, it's worldly and benefits for your for your year after or your akhirah. And I'm just going to summarize. I mean, we, this is a very vast topic. We can speak for a very long time mm. on all the things that um, why History Haji is done. And, yeah. But let, let's just summarize it. First of all, it's gaining the pleasure of Allah. Because when Allah institutes something for us mm. uh, in, a forms of, in a form of ibadah, then the first and foremost thing is it is to please him. And mm. to do something to show up our subservience to Allah Ta'ala. The same way we do through our salah and our fasting, etc. Number two, it is a wonderful opportunity for people to meet. Muslims meet each other from all over the world. And it really shows the diversity within the ummah. Mm. How we can all have different languages. We can all have different skin colors. We can all have different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds. But yet our goal in life is one. And that is to serve Allah, to worship Him, etc. So that is a wonderful, most probably the most profound mm. opportunity for Muslims throughout the world to see the diversity within the Ummah. Then, of course, it is uh, one of the ways in which uh, we also nurture brotherhood and equality uh, amongst ourselves. Mm. This is one of the principles of Islam. You know, we should always strive to b- bridge the gaps between ourselves and not think of ourselves as being different to others and being better Mm. than others and i think most probably again hajj is the most profound way in which this equality comes out very clearly Um, for example the ihram that is done that is done you know that is worn uh, between uh, for the males you'll find that you won't make be able to make a distinction when you see the ihram as to where the person comes from, mm. what his what his social status is, what his uh, wealth looks like—I mean, nothing of that will be able to be seen if a person is in ihram. Um, and and the rituals—it's equal for everyone. It's not that special privileges for certain people and not for others. Everyone must do exactly the same thing. Mm. Same thing. So, which means that uh, equality is really practiced on a practical level. It is shown to us and we have the opportunity to obviously enhance that. And then also uh, one of the benefits is that Hajj and Umrah, it all always affords us that sense of, you know, lo- that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like you're going back to your spiritual home. Mm-hmm. We know everything started there. You know, the Kaaba is very significant. And also you pray towards the Kaaba every day. You know, and also the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, he received his message there. 
So it's almost like going back to your roots. Mm. And that is one of the wonderful things that you also experience. And then also it connects us with our history in general. Mm. You know, Nabi Ibrahim, we spoke about Nabi Ismail. We read about these things in the Quran, the seer of our Prophet Wasallam. It's such a wonderful opportunity for us to go there and actually live that history and be able to, to, to connect with it, you know. So when you read the Quran after you've come from Hajj and Umrah, it's very different. Because now you, you know the place, you've seen it, you know. You, you have that experience And so that is a, yet another benefit And then it also teaches us how to sacrifice And how to discipline ourselves Because there's some, some, somewhat of hardship as well That needs to be endured when you go mm. on this journey Starting from the day when you leave Because you have to leave your family behind You have to make sacrifices There's a financial strain on you Because you have to prepare financially for it mm. Lots of sacrifices And then also the, the rituals itself you know, the zahma and the, the, the vast numbers of people, the oceans of people that you need to blend in with and mm. perform all those rituals with. So they sacrifices and also discipline because, as I said, all of this takes place in a very, very tight time frame. Mm. You have to move according to the time that is allocated and a specific place. You know, you can't choose the place yourself, mm. specific areas, etc. So there's wonderful things that one develops uh, within this ibadah. And finally, I can also add here is that um, the hajj uh, and umrah for that matter but more so the hajj it of course reminds us of the year after it reminds mm. us of the akhirah how we are all going to stand in front of allah you know um, in a very simple form and we won't have any belongings with us we won't have anything to 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 help us except our good deeds that we carry with us mm. and in fact when you stand on arafah and you stand on mina this is what goes through your mind you're one out of it, those millions of people yeah. And your chance will come when you will actually stand in front of Allah That is going to question you and ask you about your life, etc So it's also, I think, Hajj and Umrah One of the major benefits is it gives you time to really reflect You know, who you are and wh where you're going to And what your purpose in life is Soul searching, really mm. That really happens on a very, very high level mm. When you are uh, in the Baytullah Or close to the Baytullah for Hajj and Umrah So those are, in a nutshell, some of the benefits yeah. Why we perform Hajj Like I said, it's a very fast topic yes. We can really go, <laughs> go into, into detail it. With many, many of these aspects Absolutely. That we very uh, quickly mentioned Shukran, Sheikh uh, We need to take a break And when we come back, more of your uh, SMS questions Or at least the focus on Hajj During this this wonderful period, Alhamdulillah Stay. Bismillah Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. Just a few minutes left before we have to break for Maghrib. Uh, welcome back to question and answers. And uh, before we do that, Sheikh, this question came up. Uh, looking at the, the why, why Hajj was performed, and, and shukran so much for that detailed answer. But now moving on to whom the Hajj is fuddled for, and what are the conditions of Hajj as well? If we could look at that quickly. Yeah, yeah. Hajj is uh, obviously very specific uh, for a specific group of people, um, and that is that first of all, Muslims. I mean, you must be Muslim to perform mm. Hajj. You must first embrace the faith in order to, to enjoy this opportunity to go to the Baytullah and to perform your Hajj. Secondly, you must be uh, of sane mind. You must, mm. you must have sanity. An insane person will not be required to do so. Uh, number three, the person must be um, of age, must be mukallaf, must yes. be baligh before Hajj is actually incumbent upon him. Mm. Uh, of course, this does not mean if a person is uh, not baligh and is not sane mm. that they're not allowed to go. They can go, of course, but Hajj is not required Without from them. them. Okay, uh, it will, and in fact, if they do it in that condition while the, while the person is insane or is not of age, then that will not fulfill the duty for him. He mm. will have to wait until he's 
become of age and if he regains his sanity mm. he has to repeat that hajj in other words then of course all the conditions for hajj as well is uh, safety and and, and health mm. i mean safety in the sense of uh, you must be able to know that you can go and come back in a, in a safe way there's no whores or difficulty on the road etc etc uh, and also your health i mean you must be able-bodied to mm. be able to perform the hajj and that is why one of the things about this ibadah is you can actually uh, assign it to someone else if you're not able to go mm. you know and we also know about okay. the Badal Hajj that is performed when you perform it on behalf of someone else that could not go mm. due to whatever reason. So one of the reasons could be that the person is unable to go mm. because of, of health issues. And then finally, one of the uh, very important conditions as well is that a person must be able to afford to go mm. uh, because it like i said earlier it, it has some financial constraints on a person uh, there is uh, lots of planning that is involved and so uh, allah ta'ala makes it actually very clear in the quran that hajj will only become incumbent upon the person who is able to mm. uh, in verse uh, 97 of chapter 3 surah ala imran allah ta'ala says walillahi ala nasi hijjul bayti man istata'a ilayhi sabila and it is upon it is for allah's sake that people should perform hajj for those who can afford it, those who can find a way and means to actually perform it. Mm -hmm. And when the Prophet ﷺ was actually asked about this, what does it mean, you know, to have the means? Mm -hmm. What exactly does that mm -hmm. mean? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Azad wal he said two things. Azad wa rahila. It means you must have enough to, to have provisions when you go. Mm. You need obviously money to sustain yourself and food, etc. when you go. And number two, rahila, you must have some form of transport to go there. You know, whatever that transport is, you must have uh, the ability to uh, acquire that transport that will actually make you reach the Baytullah. So that shows that it is only for people really who are able and that is the rahmah of islam obviously not not, not everybody uh, will be in that condition to be able to go mm. you know so so that's why it's only incumbent upon people and also this gives us the hikmah why it is incumbent only once in a lifetime mm. and not like salah that is done daily or ramadan that is done annually mm. this once in a lifetime because it is quite a a a, a big task to go in financially physically etc and so those are some of the conditions that needs to be met for a person who wants to perform the Hajj uh, or Umrah to the Baytullah. Shukran, Sheikh. I think what, what um, I was reminded of just quickly before the break, Sheikh, when um, Sheikh was answering why we perform um, a Hajj, is often when you hear the Hujjaj come back, they talk about death and how it also reminds them the, you know, it can happen there and how they actually want to, you know, pass on um, on that place while being in Ikhram as well. So yeah. inshallah. Shukran for that. That is a beautiful uh, addition because it is something that is virtuous. You know, when you mm. go there, you actually go with the frame of mind that you want to prepare yourself to meet Allah. Yes. And that is what it's all about. We continue with the Hajj questions just after this break. Of course, now we uh, take a short break for Maghrib and we come back again. Apologies to everyone that await their answers. And I know that there are some Ramadan questions as well that had come through and uh, the general fiqih questions. So please, uh, a big, big shukran. We, we really appreciate your patience. But we continue after this. Stay with us. My radio station, your radio station. Our radio station, the voice of Allah wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Welcome back after our short break. Uh, after Maghrib, alhamdulillah. We uh, thank you for joining us once again. I'm Khawa Solomon. With me answering your questions is the resident imam at the Yusufia Masjid. Do note that you can audio stream, tell your friends and family across the lands and over the seas on uh, www.vocfm.co.za. Click on listen live and uh, you can choose the different players 
and take us along wherever you go as well if you're on the road. Be safe. Uh, remember to be safe and buckle up. So the next Hajj question, as we're focusing on Hajj during this period and uh, Sheikh answering these questions, Sheikh, looking at the, the possibility of giving the poor the amount for going on Hajj, the money. So does one necessarily give them only that which is needed, which is the ticket and accommodation finances for the money, or do you extend a little bit more and and give them um, everything and uh, like a little bit extra? So big question is the amount of money that you give them, is it enough for Hajj instead of going to Hajj? I'm not too sure what that question uh, entails, um, but in terms of w- what the, the the requirements for Hajj is, then of course you need to be um, in a state where you can sustain yourself mm. while you are in in Makkah, and you must also be able to sustain your family that you leave behind, for example. Yeah, and that's an addition. I mean, it's not only having enough just for the ticket and co- accommodation and that and go over, yeah. but you should also have enough money to look after your family while you are gone. For that two months or whatever period you are going to be gone, um, and of course, uh, you know, um, uh, this is part of of being realistic about it. I mean, you you cannot, for example, go with with uh, without taking the responsibilities. You know that you need to look at at home. Uh, so, in other words, you can't be over enthusiastic about Hajj, but yet your daily responsibilities you you forsake. Mm. That won't make sense. You know, our Islam is obviously much more holistic than that. So you need to take care, for example, of all debts that are owed to people before you leave. Make sure that uh, that is settled. Of course, if they allow you to pay it at a later stage after you get back, that is also okay. Mm. But you must at least uh, make that arrangement with those people. But other than that, it is, uh, yes, whatever is going to uh, be needed to sustain yourself for the time period that you will be there mm. and also your transport getting there as well as looking after your duties and responsibilities back home for mm. the time period that you will be gone. Shukran Sheikh for the, that, that um, answer. But something similar uh, that also came in, is it possible to give the poor the amount of money enough for Hajj instead of you going for Hajj? Yeah, I think people struggle with this sometimes uh, where they have to juggle between various decisions to be made. Mm -hmm. So a person is eligible to go on Hajj, for example, he's got the money, but at the same time, you see these poor people, you know, um, in his vicinity, in his Mm -hmm. district, etc. So what should he do? Should he rather give the money to the poor or should he go on Hajj? Right. Uh, of course, we know that zakah, that is why zakah is there. Zakah has to be paid from mm-hmm. whatever wealth you have, 2.5% to the poor and needy. So if a person has given his zakah 2.5% to mm-hmm. the poor and needy, then he has fulfilled that particular rukun, which yeah. is also one of the arkan of Islam. And then once he has given his zakah, mm-hmm. then of course, whatever other things comes up after that, um, like for example now hajj, hajj is also a rukun. So you cannot also sideline that. Mm. So the fact that he has given his zakah, it will obviously now be a priority for him to go on hajj and not to keep on giving to poor people, etc. and okay. not go on hajj. Although he hasn't been on hajj. Yeah, especially if he hasn't been on okay. hajj. I'll speak now. If he has been, it's a different, different ruling. Okay. But if he hasn't been on hajj, we are talking about that person all, yeah. because it becomes now uh, obligatory upon him to use whatever money he has mm. to perform this obligation. Okay, okay. Uh, because the poor and needy, their needs are there, but we need to look up after them all the time, mm. and that will always be there. And we should always make the niyyah, inshallah, that we always fulfill that duty as best as we can. Okay. But we need to juggle between these things because mm. there's also a duty of going on hajj, right? So this person, then, as I said, 
after he has paid his zakah mm-hmm. and he's done his duty, uh, he's given his nafaqah to those who, who it's owed to. That's why I spoke in the question before this, the duties of looking after people that you leave behind. Mm-hmm. So after all of that has been settled, now you have money enough for hajj, then you should go on hajj. Mm-hmm. That should be a priority. As for the other person who has gone on hajj before, or he's gone on umrah before, is it better for him to go on a hajj and umrah a second time and a third time? whilst there are other duties maybe or other things that he can spend his, his money on. This is a personal thing, right? This is not something that I can give sort of a, a one straight answer. Mm. But one needs to obviously look at the priority and the need of the time. Mm. And one must be realistic. Uh, so is it better to go on Umrah every year, for example, whilst there are lots of people that don't have food on the table, for example, mm. and you can help them out? What is better to do in that, in that sense? Mm. Now, your Umrah that you will be performing, for example, is only for your benefit. Mm. But if you help someone else, it's, it's for the benefit of the community, mm. really. So there you may want to consider those things. Whilst at the same time, we, we, we cannot point a finger at somebody that wants to go on Umrah more mm. than once or Hajj. It's a personal thing. If he feels strongly, he wants to go, you know. Mm. All that I'm saying is, in this question, that yes, we need to, uh, it's, it's important that we look at priorities. Mm. You know, that a Muslim needs to look at what comes first, second and third in terms of the priority list. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't give me a right to point a finger if somebody is going on Hajj more than once or Umrah. Well, Hajj more than once is now out of the question because of the accreditation and all of that. So we're not talking about Hajj, <laughs> but the Umrah more than once. So some people go every year, for example. Yeah. So does that give me a right to tell him why do you go every year? You should rather give to the poor. Mm. We shouldn't have that attitude. Sometimes a person, he feels strongly, you know, I mean, you can admire actually some wealthy people that instead of going on their annual holidays to whatever place they go, they go on yeah. Umrah, you know. So while, while they would have spent that money on a lavish holiday in Malaysia or mm. somewhere else, they rather spend it going on Umrah. Mm. So that obviously is a much better option. You yeah. know? So we don't point fingers at anyone who goes mm. and perform, but we rather try to respect people's, uh, you know, decisions. Mm. But we also tell them. Look at your priorities in life yes. and see where the needs are. And inshallah, that is where the, 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 the concern and that is where the focus should be. Okay, inshallah. Let's take a short break. We'll come back with more questions on Hajj um, this evening, inshallah. Back in a moment. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the... The voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM Serial. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Welcome back to our last few minutes uh, on our Hajj questions and answer session. I'm Khawa Solomon. With me is Sheikh Ibrahim was answering your questions. So quickly, Sheikh, um, the last few questions that we have is, is it appropriate to go on Hajj by borrowing money? Yeah, of course, Hajj. Uh, Hajj should not be obligatory if somebody is not able to afford it. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, the verse that says, Man sabila. However, it, it, would, it would be if a person should borrow money and yeah. the person who is borrowing him the money don't have issue and so on, the Hajj will certainly be uh, valid, mm. certainly be accepted. Uh, inshallah, you know, only, only Allah knows that, but yes. we are saying it will be valid in terms of fording away from his from his conscience. Mm. But uh, is it something that we should actually do? I mean, should you go out of your way to borrow money? I personally don't believe we should. Mm. You know, I do believe that Hajj is a calling and Hajj is an invitation that comes from Allah. And if the time is right, if the conditions are right, Allah Ta'ala will make it easy for you to go. Mm. I spoke uh, in the Jumu'ah yesterday. I said to people, if you make your niyyah, you know, 
just make a sincere niyyah mm. the rest is on Allah Allah will look after you and will see that you get mm. there in one way or the other so I'm not much for for this to want to and go, go and put yourself in difficulty by yeah. borrowing money from others because now you come back and you still have to pay back debts and stuff mm. like that I, I, I don't encourage that at all but let's say somebody did it and he, he really and, and that is actually what happened mm. we will say that it's valid we can't say the Hajj is not valid the Hajj is valid but it's not the best thing to do as far yeah. as I am concerned and this person up until uh, the time that he is able to go he is not required to go mm. he's not yet under that banner of being an able person to perform the Hajj Roger, what exactly does it mean um what does ihram exactly mean? Yeah, there, there, there is, I think, a sort of a, a misconception as far as the, the word ihram goes. Mm. I think a lot of people think ihram is when you put on your clothing, special clothing, mm. for going for umrah and, and hajj. The reality is that ihram is actually that moment when you make the intention for going into the ibadah. Okay. It's like your start of your ibadah, whether it be umrah, whether it be hajj. So ihram really means to intend, I intend now to go into the state of ibadah, for the purpose of Umrah and Hajj. It's it's very much, I can compare it to the Takbirat oh, al So it's Ihram. not the physical garment that people are referring to. No. Okay. The physical garment in that is part of the sort of etiquettes that goes with the Ihram, yes. Oh, okay. Because why I say this is, if I wear my Ihram clothing, for example, does that mean I'm automatically in Ihram? The answer is no. Okay. I may be wearing the clothing, but if I didn't intend anything, then I'm not in ihram. Mm. Okay, so um, it's very much like takbiratul ihram, and the word is also the same. The moment you say in your salah Allahu Akbar, then that is the start of your salah, mm. which means everything now becomes prohibited Condition. that was normally allowed before the salah. Mm. Now the same with the, tak- with the, the ihram for Umrah and Hajj. You make an intention to perform Umrah and Hajj, and once you've made that intention. Then from that moment onwards, obviously now um, things becomes haram upon you that mm. was uh, legal before that. Okay. So other things that you're not allowed to, to do now is to wear ordinary clothing. Mm. For men, for example, they must wear special clothing, unstitched clothing, etc. Uh, for women, they can wear any, so, any, any kind of clothing that they normally wear. There's no restrictions as far as they are concerned. They should only not cover their face, right? Their face and their hands should should obviously be open, but the, the, otherwise a, anything else goes as far as women is concerned. Then we know that there are certain things that you are restricted to to, to not to do while you are in a haram, mm. like applying perfume, like cutting your nails, cutting your hair, like mm-hmm. um, um, uh, hunting Farming. hunting for any animals, mm. like intimacy between spouses. These, these are all things that are off limits mm. while you are in a state of. Ihram. So technically, when do you make your when do you make your niyyah for ihram? When you are at the border of going into Makkah, uh, and the border is whatever miqat you will be coming through. Okay. For our people, we normally come from Medina, so Dhul Hulayfa will be the border, which is also known as Bir Ali. So at that moment, you make your niyyah for Umrah and you go in, right? So you done your clothing, you make your niyyah, and then you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Hajj, the the niyyah is normally made the way we perform Hajj on the eighth day of Dhul Hijjah, because we are in Makkah. And you put yourself in a state of ihram on the eighth day uh, for the purpose of hajj. And from there onwards, you are in a state of ihram for the next three, four days mm-hmm. in which you perform your various rituals that are that are required. Sheikh, with regards to the animals, can the animals that have been sacrificed during the hajj be slaughtered outside the haram region? Yeah, no, actually, it's, 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 uh, it has to be done within the haram area. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and of course, the animals that are slaughtered, it's, it's for different purposes. If it is for the contravention, for example, of something that you were not supposed to do, mm-hmm. then that, there would be a certain penalty. If it is, for example, for the type of hajj that you have performed. Now, this is also a technicality that we need to understand. Um, there's three different types of hajj that a person 
is able to choose from. Okay. One is called tamattu', one is called qiran, and one is called ifrad. Mm. Tamattu' will, will mean basically to perform umrah first. In the months of Hajj, you perform Umrah first, mm-hmm. and then you release yourself from Ihram, and then you come back on the eighth day to, to renew your Ihram a second time. So that person who enjoys uh, that time period between his Umrah and his Hajj as a normal person, mm-hmm. where he came out of his Ihram, wear normal clothing and all of that, he is called Mutamatti'ah. He is doing Tamattu'ah. Okay. So for that privilege, he must pay a dam. He must pay, he must sacrifice an animal. Okay, for that type of hajj. The other type of hajj is qiran, where you basically make a niyyah already um, during the days of hajj, or just before the days of hajj rather. You make that niyyah to perform hajj and umrah together simultaneously. So your niyyah is hajj and umrah together. And this is obviously for someone who's coming in quite late, who's not going to be in Makkah for a long time. Mm. So he comes towards the end of uh, Dhul Qa'dah or let's say beginning of Dhul Hijjah, he comes in. So he makes his niyyah one time when he comes in mm-hmm. through the Miqat. This niyyah is for Hajj and Umrah at the same time. So that is called Kiran. And Kiran will mean you know, whatever action you are going to do after Tawaf and Sa'i and so on, your niyyah will be twofold. Both Hajj and Umrah with the, with the same action. So it's one Tawaf but for Hajj and Umrah. One Sa'i for Hajj and Umrah. Etc. Okay, that is Qiran. And that person who does Qiran must also pay a dam. Mm-hmm. But as for the person who comes in Ifrad, Ifrad is basically when you come in only with the purpose of Hajj. Not for Umrah, not for anything else, just for Hajj. And this too is only for someone who comes quite late mm-hmm. because you're going to remain in Ihram until the days of Hajj. So this person, he comes in, uh, let's say just before the days of Hajj, makes his niyyah for Hajj and he goes into Ihram. For, the, for that purpose And he stays into ihram Until all the rituals of hajj are complete uh, This is the only type of hajj That does not require the payment of a dam It does not require a sacrifice yes. of an animal But the original question Where must it be done? It must be done in the haram area uh-huh. okay. And even the distribution of that Must be done in the haram area And not anywhere else So Sheikh, if we can quickly fit in this uh, question For our last uh, 60 seconds I would say A big one of women going on Hajj alone without a mahram, is this allowed and what are the rulings around that? Yeah, with regards to a woman going for her first Hajj, you know, the fourth Hajj, Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah is the one that has given a leeway as far as this is concerned. Mm. Ordinarily, a woman needs a mahram to travel beyond a certain distance for her own protection and for her own goodwill. But when it comes to the fourth Hajj or the fourth Umrah of a woman, Imam Shafi'i has said that it is allowed for her to travel without a mahram because she's fulfilling a duty that must be done, but it must be on condition that she travels within a company of other women that are upright and that are trustworthy. Mm. So they can look out for each other, they can support each other, they can help each other. Okay, This is the ruling of Imam Shafi'i on this matter, and this goes for, like I said, the fard hajj or the fard umrah. Mm. So there's no problem if there is no mahram, but we must make sure that the people traveling along are able to look after each other and are able to, especially women amongst themselves, mm. they are able to look out for each other. And in this case, this will be absolutely permissible as far as uh, the And it's preferably Muslim, oh, sorry, women that she must be traveling with. Yeah, it must be women. Okay. You're not talking about men because men obviously the opposite gender causes issues mm. but it has to be ma- uh, females uh, that Companies, are upright and yeah. that are able to like I said render that support mm. to, to one another while being on this journey and this is only for the fard hajj mm-hmm. for the fard umrah that Imam Shafi'i has given this particular leeway Jazakallah khair once again Sheikh for affording the time and taking the time out to uh, answer the questions, questions in a detailed manner we hope uh, to see Sheikh again next week same time same place and we continue then with our SMS 
our very, very, very backlogged uh, SMSs, but we will see to your questions as they come through. Shukran, Sheikh, all the best, and see Sheikh next week, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan, and to all our listeners, inshallah, until we meet in one week's time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. And from myself, have a good weekend. Wassalamu alaikum and good evening. Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. 91.3 FMs. Only for high.